Welcome to the Flourish Heights podcast, made for women by women. I'm your host, Valerie Adjamine, women's health dietitian and the founder of Flourish Heights. To be empowered in health starts with a true connection with your body. Together, we are breaking through topics surrounding periods, women's nutrition, body awareness, self-care, and much more. Let's flourish and be the best version of ourselves. Hey ladies, welcome back to a new episode, one that is much needed and one that you're going to want to share with all the girlies in your life. It's Sexual Health Awareness Month, and if you're located in the D.C. metropolitan area, please join us in person at Showfields, D.C. in Georgetown for a real talk on sexual health from libido to preventing sexually transmitted infections and managing hormonal problems with the best women's health experts who are joining us to have this conversation. RSVP using the link in our show notes. Ladies, it's going to be such a great event, so please bring a friend. And I would love to meet you there. This is happening on September 30th at 1 p.m. Let's have a real talk. All right. So to keep things on topic, we are in conversation today with a special friend and colleague who goes by the name of Jenna Perkins, a women's health nurse practitioner and sexual health educator who just so happens to be one of our special guests that will be having that real talk with us on September 30th. So today we are chatting all about the menstrual cycle, also known as the fifth vital sign from misconceptions to myths. She is here to lay down all the facts just for you. So grab a glass of something refreshing and enjoy the episode. Hey, Jenna, welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here. We finally, finally made this happen. I'm so excited for the topic that we're going to be discussing today. And you are like the absolute perfect person for today's topic. So there's lots of excitement here on my end. Yeah, me too. I'm like giddy over here to just <laughs> get into it and to continue connecting with you. I'm so like proud of the work you're doing and your platform. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm hyped. You're so kind. And that's like exactly how I feel about you. I'm just waiting for the time because we like we're very close. Like we're in like we're close in this D.C. metro area. So, yeah, we need to make it happen. <laughs> what we talked about months ago. <laughs> yeah, come through. The space is really cute, too. So it's like it's a vibe. So it'll be a, a nice little get together. I'm always down for a vibe. Well, so while you're here, tell our listeners a quick snippet about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Jenna Perkins. I am a women's health and gender-related nurse practitioner, and I am the founder of Discover Her Health. And Discover Her Health is a space um, where I care for your most intimate concerns. So the her is for healthcare, education, and resources. So we provide Eurogyne care, complex GYN, um, really all of the things that you don't have time to fully address in your annual exam, you can 
come to us for. Um, the E in her is for education. So I love educating. I was an adjunct professor before. Um, and I just think that education is so essential to really getting transformation for clients. So it's literally in our middle name. And then the resources are all of the products that we sell in our her shop online um, and all of the connections that we make with partners just like you so that we can make sure that you have everything you could possibly need to get that transformation. I love that. And I mean, we can never stop talking about topics around our intimate areas, um, especially like collectively, like as a community. And, you know, that brings me to like my first question. We hear a lot about reproductive health and sexual health, but like not many people know like what it entails. So why is it so vital for women to be more informed about their own unique, you know, sexual and reproductive health? Let's start there. Yeah, well, I think that sexual health is super important. I mean, you would not have humanity or people in general if it was not for sex, right? And so it is literally the way that we create and recreate ourselves as human. And it is the most essential part of this human experience that we have. Um, and it just involves so many things, connection, community, um, communication, all of the things that are are necessary to have like a good sexual life um, are tools that you need outside of, you know, sexual health and wellness. So really, when I am talking to women about like their sexual health, their intimate health, what I'm trying to do is have them be in tip top shape so that they can show up as their full, complete, authentic selves so that they can be the best that they can be, if that makes sense. I love that. So it was connection and community that it's really like the drivers to the topic around reproductive health and why we need to be more informed about it. Yes. Yep. Yeah. It's how we got here. It's how we're going to continue. <laughs> and I just think it's so important. And it's so funny because, yeah, I mean, it's it's such a normal part of life. And it's just so strange how it's very hush hush almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that has a lot to do with like the patriarchy and capitalism and racism, how we have taken something that is so essential um, to, again, us being here as humans and created this taboo around it. And it's because, you know, you have this history of white men kind of dictating like what sex mm. looks like, what works look like, what works looks like, you know, what, it again. <laughs> yeah, what life looks like. Right. And so, um, for all of the other people, right. For the women, for the, she's the days, um, who don't fit into that box, it is a, it ostracizes us, right? Um, so if you're not having sex or doing sex in the way that the patriarchy says it needs to be done, then, then you have all of this dysfunction and this chaos that happens. Um, and so, yeah, if you have a patriarchal society that is saying this is the way that you have to have sex or talk about sex, um, then it's going to look like one thing and everything else we have to, you know, should be quiet. They'll, they'll talk about sex in that way, you know? So, yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say we we miss out on a lot of good and what's left is just like a watered down, harmful version of sex. Very, very watered down. And you also mentioned taboo. And one of the biggest things around reproductive health that 
is so taboo our periods and talking about it. So let's talk about it, right? Because that's why we do our podcast. I always hear the saying that the menstrual cycle is like our fifth vital sign. And personally, I totally agree with this. I mean, I feel like it literally rules every area of our life, whether mentally and physically, emotionally. Um, so just your perspective, would you consider it to be the quote unquote fifth vital sign? Like, what are your thoughts around this? Oh, definitely. Definitely. It is a way for us to um, check in and see how we are functioning. And it really allows us to take the temperature on our bodies, right? Um, if you are not ovulating, it is a sign that something hormonal is going on, right? Um, what's happening in the brain, what's happening in the body that is causing these changes, these fluctuations in our hormonal cycle and in our menstrual cycle. It definitely is a outward reflection of what is going on inward. So I 100% agree. Yeah. And I feel like for so long, we've normalized, quote unquote, normalized, another word I <laughs> we can't like stop saying, right? Um, I feel like we've normalized like what a period should look like and often associated with pain and other symptoms. So I want to know what is a normal period in terms of length and flow um, in terms of color and and all the things, because I, I feel like, yes, now we are starting to hear more conversations around this. But I also feel like, you know, a lot of people still don't really know much about what a normal period looks like and that it doesn't have to be this excruciating, painful, daunting ex- experience. And I mean, I know like minus the fact that, um, you know, some people have real medical conditions leading to some of these types of symptoms. Let's talk about just, you know, like the basics around this. Yeah. So what I would consider normal for a cycle or a period or the bleeding um, time of your cycle would be three days of bleeding. Three to seven days of bleeding is what we would consider normal kind of in the clinical, putting my clinical hat on. Um, The amount of bleeding, usually we expect for you to be changing your pad, tampon, or cup around like every three hours we would consider normal. Um, But really it comes down to like, are you distressed by what you are experiencing, right? Um, so if a woman came to me and she was like, my periods are heavier than they've ever been. Um, I now have like seven days of bleeding and my cycle went from being every 28 days to now being unpredictable or every, Mm -hmm. you know, 50 days or so. Um, even though it might be normal, the amount of bleeding that she's having or the time of bleeding that she's experiencing that it might be considered normal within our reference range. It's a change for her. And if she is distressed by it, then I want her to feel like there is a place for her to come and talk about, you know, what we can do to manage it. Um, So three to seven days, again, of bleeding, changing your pattern tampon around every three hours is what we would consider normal, quote unquote. But if you are within that, but you're still distressed, right? Like if the amount of bleeding you're experiencing is interrupting your daily life or, you know, getting in the way of doing what you want to do, then I still want you to feel like it is worth talking to someone about. And it just reminds me of like a couple years back when um, 
I was having a conversation with my friend and she was just talking about how painful her periods are like every single month. It's just like medications don't work, but she just was just taught that. I mean, that's just what women go through or, you know, menstruating people. That's that's just what's the you know what the norm is. And I I think I read somewhere too, like, you know, this kind of um, symptom or just like the pain and the cramps um, about, you know, it affects about more than 70 percent of women. Now, why, why is that? Like, what are some of the causes behind abnormal period pain? Yeah. So periods are inherently crampy, right? And cramps are inherently painful. So you can expect some discomfort whenever you have a period. So we have to take it back a little bit and think about like what the period actually is. So a normal cycle is again around 28 days and throughout those 28 days, your body is preparing you for ovulation, which typically happens at day 14. So an egg is released from the ovary. Um, And if that egg is not met or does not meet a sperm and turn into a baby, right? Then all of the lining of the uterus that has been building up over that month, over that that cycle is going to have to go somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. So I like to say it's like a a maid is coming in at a nice hotel and like adding all these layers like sheets and comforters and duvets and pillows, right? Like all of these cushy layers, adding them to the uterus and hopes for a guest to come, right? Yeah. And so if that guest does not come, if you decide like, hey, sis, I'm not having sex this month, or I don't want to get pregnant, or we're using a condom, whatever the case may be, if you do not get pregnant, then that maid is coming back. And she's basically like tearing off all of those layers. Like, you know, like, okay, well, you (laughs) didn't want (laughs) my comfy bed. So now I guess I got to get rid of all these nice things that I laid down. Um, And so the removal of those layers inside of the uterus, that is the actual bleeding that you see. Um, And the uterus is a muscle, just like the heartbeat, right? And so the way that it gets rid of those layers is by having these small contractions um, or, or muscle spasms. And it should not be very, very painful. Yes, it is definitely going to be uncomfortable just inherently because it is cramping that's occurring in your abdomen, right? Um, But it should not be, again, distressing. It should not interrupt the things that you got to do. You got to go to work. You got to, you know, do whatever it is. You want to still be able to maintain your quality of life. And if you cannot do that on your period, then that is distressing. And that is worth having a conversation with a healthcare provider. What about like, other conditions that we commonly hear like endometriosis and fibroids and like because when I hear of these like conditions I always hear one of the like main symptoms are like pain mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so endometriosis fibroids vulvodynia vestibulodynia these are the things that I like absolutely love to treat um and what happens oftentimes in these cases when you have these complex like gynecologic disorders or diagnoses is that it's not just one thing, right? Mm. It's just the endometriosis that is causing your pain or it's not just that fibroid. Typically with fibroids, it's usually not the fibroid itself that is causing the pain, right? 
what happens is your body has a response, right? So every, you know, action has an equal and opposite reaction. So if you are having these cramps in your abdomen, your pelvic floor muscles might be responding to that by also tensing up as a way oh, wow. to like protect you almost, right? Mm, like a and defense method or exactly like, like you literally are going into defense mode or like a, you know fight or flight mode um and so if you have these chronic conditions then your pelvic floor muscles just start to become chronically tight and tense and so that could be another source of the pain and so that's why it's hard to treat these conditions because it's not just one thing so you'll have women who are like, oh, I just had my fibroid removed or I have my endometriosis removed, but I'm still having pain. And it's because we haven't fully teased out all of the issues around that pain to be able to give a holistic plan to address it. Wow. There's so many like layers to this. This is complex stuff right here. It is. That's why I love it. I love the puzzle pieces, man. Like I just want to be the person to kind of put it all together. Well, we're glad you love it and we're glad you're here to give us all the information around this because a lot of us just don't know. Um, but what about PMS, like premenstrual syndrome? Is it normal? Like some people like get very extreme symptoms like around like fatigue or moodiness, headaches, what mm -hmm. breast tenderness, migraines, like and the list goes on. Mm -hmm. Depression. Um, yeah, so all of these changes are again reflective of what's happening internally with the hormones. So you have hormone receptors all over your body, in your eyes, in your skin, your heart. And so when these hormones are fluctuating inside of you know that cycle, then yes, you are gonna have kind of physical manifestations of those fluctuations. Um but when it becomes distressing, right? Like when your mood changes become so severe that you can't get out of bed for three days out of the month, right? Um, that is when it turns from being just kind of PMS, which most women will experience some form of PMS, um, usually mild symptoms to PMDD or premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Um, and so it really is about that level of distress and interruption into your daily living and daily life. So with PMDD, like, is that something that has to be treated almost like because I, I mean, when I hear PMDD, and I actually know someone personally that has PMDD. And one of the things that she talks about is how every month at a certain point, she starts feeling very anxious and like depressed. And even at times, like she's having like, suicidal thoughts you know I mean like so tell us more about that because I feel like PMDD also is something that you know a lot of people may not even know they have it and they think oh it's just okay PMS whatever like I'll give it a couple days but it's like they're actually going through it mm -hmm. or some people don't even like track their cycles in order to see any sort of pattern and so they think like mm. I am just depressed or I am just You're right broken, you know um, so the first step is definitely starting to like pay attention to our bodies and notice like, is there some sort of rhyme or reason that this is happening? Um, but PMDD does not have to be treated, right? Like nobody's going to mm -hmm. send you to the hospital if you don't get treatment for PMDD, but it does deserve to be treated, right? 
because the diagnosis in and of itself signals that this is interrupting your life. And so I think that every woman deserves to at least talk about treatment options. You don't have to, you know, sign up for them if you don't want to be put on medication or um, if you're sick of birth control or if you're anti, you know, mental health and wellness and taking medication for that. Um, you don't have to do any of that, but you deserve the options, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think like a lot of the times too, it's like, okay, so what are, what are some ways that we can actually improve PMS symptoms beyond just meds? Or, I mean, like you said, like some people may not want to go on meds. Um, Like what are some, some tips to improve some of these symptoms? Yeah. So I think that mindfulness is super important. So again, paying attention to the patterns. And if mm -hmm. you are like, okay, every month, you know, seven days before my period comes, I start to have these anxious thoughts, then that is a week where you need to be meditating, where you need to be using some sort of tool to slow down those anxious thoughts. So meditation is definitely one of my favorite tools to combat some of the like mental health changes that occur. Um, making sure that you eat good food, you know, that you fuel your body. And this is why your work is so important. Um, <laughs> because when you get into, you know, that week, you might feel so depressed that you don't want to fuel yourself at all, right? That you're not eating any food. And then you get so hungry that you start to binge and you eat terribly. Um, and that doesn't do anything but feed into more fatigue and, and more weight gain and um, stress and depression. So definitely meditating, definitely feeding yourself like whole foods, good foods, um, working out, even if it's just simply walking. So you know, stepping outside to get some sunlight, to get some of that yummy vitamin D that, you know, God blesses us with, with the sunshine, getting that on your skin and feeling connected to the earth is going to be so important during this time. Um, and talking to people. So having a therapist, like a talk therapist that you can talk to about your feelings and really getting other coping mechanisms and tools kind of set in place so that you can know that you have a, a toolkit of sorts. I love that, especially like just gentle movement and, you know, like working with a, a provider, like a therapist, because sometimes I mean, like these things are, you know, overlooked. Mind you, some people may not be able to get a therapist, but just simply walking mm -hmm. could make a big difference for for some people. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this earlier, how like some people may not even know that um, they may, there may be some kind of pattern related to their emotions, which is connected to their cycle. And I think, yeah, like one of the greatest ways to become more familiar with your unique menstrual cycle is cycle tracking. I, I've been doing this for a few years now, and I love it so much because it really just helps me to become more aware of what's going on in my body. And because of tracking, I actually discovered a couple years ago that I get cyclic headaches or hormonal migraines. Um, and not only that, I mean, it's so great to connect with your emotions and like some, you know, you may be craving something at certain points in the month and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, period's coming um, to, you know, symptoms that you may uh, experience prior to, to your period and et cetera. But yeah, people tell the people, our listeners, what cycle tracking is, um, how do you actually do it? What are some of the main things that you can 
utilize and some of these um you know there's so many apps nowadays but some people are like against the apps and all that and so some people are doing it like the old school way writing things down so tell us more about that maybe what you like recommend to your clients and what has worked for some of them or even you yeah so I track my cycle um personally and I use the app um I just use the app on my phone I used to use flow now I just use the health app and some of the concern is like is big brother going to take our health information yeah, and the data <laughs> right, and do something with it. And my thought process is they already got us this. They, they, <laughs> they know oh, more about you than you know more about yourself. So um, I'm not a paper girl. Like I'm the person that buys planners and journals and like writes in them for one week and then forgets That's it. it. <laughs> um, so I, you have to know yourself in order to figure out what tools are going to be best for you. So for me, I personally, I do like the apps and I do use the apps. Um, And for, I would say at least three months, you're just writing things down as they come. You're not trying to predict anything. Um, You're just giving yourself the data. And then once you have three months of data, you can really start to understand like, okay, how long are my cycles? Are they the typical 28 day cycle? Are they a little bit shorter? Are they a little bit longer? Um, What you can pretty reliably count on is that if you ovulate 14 days after ovulation, you will see blood, right? So that, that if you do not get pregnant. Um, and so I like to kind of have at least three months of data so that we can start to predict when ovulation occurred based off of when bleeding happened, right? Um, because the signs of ovulation, like the changes you might see with your discharge, for instance, your discharge might become more like ooey gooey sticky, kind of like the egg whites. Um, that is something that typically happens at ovulation, or you can have some pain. Some people just feel like a little bit more energy and they might feel more, um, desire like sexually around the time of ovulation, but those are usually pretty like soft markers. So it's hard to track our cycle based off of ovulation unless we have a good amount of time where we've collected data to reliably say like, this is when I ovulated. Yeah. Yeah. And I, there's, I mean, I love that a lot of these like trackers to have I mean, they make it so easy for you to keep track. Like sometimes you're just pressing a button. Like if you notice, hey, I have a like migraine today or I mean like a headache today or something. It's like you just go in, you click that little, you know, emoji like with the head hurting or whatever. You click it and then like that's it. Um, I, I, I love that. And I think, too, some people do get very carried away on like the ovulation day in the app. And I feel like we need to remind people once again, like, you know, it's an app can't determine everything like it's great to just track the patterns but let's not get too carried away because or else you know you're gonna gonna end up with you're gonna end up with something that you don't want right right or someone (laughs) someone that you don't want no but um yeah that's awesome now a lot of people use hormonal birth control for a number of reasons, whether that's, you know, preventing pregnancy, just, or managing a specific health issue. How do you go about finding the right one? Cause I mean, there's the pill, there's IUD, the ring, the list goes on. So, and also like, what are some common side effects to be aware of? Yeah. Um, so you have to have someone you trust, right? 
so you have to have a provider that's going to really be able to take the time and sit down with you and get to know you and know what like your goals are um, and what your priorities are so that you guys can come up with a plan together. Um, there is a really great website that I like. It's called Bedsider, um, B-E-D-S-I-D-E-R. And I think it's bedsider.org. It might be .com. But either way, if you Google Bedsider, they do a really good job of explaining the different options of birth control so that you can start to get an understanding of, you know, what is out there. And so I would start there because you have a very limited amount of time in a traditional like OBGYN's visit um, and just see what you think you might be interested in and then take that with you, take that information with you and talk to your provider about that. Um, some of the common side effects that I see, because I see, you know, people who are having issues with birth control all day mm -hmm. long. Um, and one that we don't talk about is there is a condition called hormonally mediated vestibulodynia. Okay. Yeah. That's my first time hearing that. It's a mouthful too. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? So, uh, dynia is the Latin word for pain. So anytime you hear mm. dynia, pain and vestibule is the opening to the vagina, right? Mm. So just like in a fancy church, you walk into the vestibule, it's just that kind of transition zone from outside to inside. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you were to spread the labia, it's where the urethra is. It's where the glands that secrete lubrication are. Um, those are all a part of the vestibule. And so the vulva will be the outside. The vagina will be the inside. And the vestibule is this very sensitive transition zone. Um, and so if we break down the word hormonally mediated vestibulodynia, what we're looking at is dynia pain in the vestibule mediated or caused by hormones. So what happens is um, if you are on, say, the birth control pill, especially mm -hmm. the low-dose birth control pill, what happens is you stop ovulating and the vestibule, which has lots of receptors for estrogen and testosterone, is no longer going to be getting those hormones, right? And so women start to develop um, symptoms like painful intercourse, pain with insertion, recurring urinary tract infections, because remembering that the urethra is right there, right? And so things get dry, irritated, um, you tear very easily. So you can literally wow. tear have intercourse. Um, yeah. So that is a side effect that I don't think gets enough attention that can happen when you're on the birth control pill. We know for sure, like, women will complain oftentimes about having like decreased libido or desire and also vaginal dryness. Um, and it is related to this condition that I'm talking about because you don't have the hormone supplying that vestibule in the way that is necessary. That's such a good breakdown. And I mean, it's, it's so confusing out there and there's so many different like types of or products and brands out there too on like what birth control you should be on so oh I think that probably has to be like a separate conversation okay. <laughs> I mean I it's say, confusing it is confusing. overwhelming and and it is overwhelming and guess what every person is different so honestly what I do as a provider I'm like okay what is one that's covered by your insurance first of all, mm. right? So that it can be accessible to you and you're not paying an arm and a leg for it. And then we try it and then we see if it works for you mm -hmm. because every birth control option, the pill, the IUD, the 
implants, the injection, every option has side effects. And so my job is to make sure that like we understand the potential side effects. And then if we experience them, we can pivot and say, okay, I don't want that. Let me try something different. So for those looking to transition off the pill, like to get ready to, you know, begin their family, what are some things they need to know? Just a few things that you think is important. Yeah. So what your period looks like on the pill is not a true period or a true cycle. It is an induced bleed. Um, And so it might be a lot different when you come off of the pill. So if you're bleeding for seven days on the pill, you might have a much shorter period when you come off of it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It just really kind of depends on like what your natural baseline is. And so that can be scary for some women because they're like, this is not normal. You know, I'm only bleeding for three days. Um, and it might just be that you're blessed this, and this is the way that, you know, you naturally are. Um, it can take some time too to get pregnant. So if you are wanting pregnancy or desiring pregnancy at a certain time, just be aware that, you know, it might take six months for you to start to ovulate, or it might take a year for you to be able to get pregnant. So definitely give yourself space and time and, and be patient, um, coming off of the pill. Good to know. Now, I we have a, just a few minutes here, so I want to make sure I ask this because when it comes to, you know, keeping the vagina or the vulva happy and healthy, I feel like there's so many products out in the market right now from sprays to washes and wipes, et cetera, um, that are just trying to, you know, like it's always like, you know, use this for like a healthier vagina. So tell us, briefly are they all necessary like what are your best tips to keeping the vulva and vagina healthy in terms of like hygiene yeah um so i did mention before that i do have a shop so if you are interested in some of those products you can see all of my recommendations on my page um with that said you don't need none of it (laughs) (laughs) none of it okay they are nice to have but oftentimes they can actually be the source of odor right they can cause Mm -hmm. um your vagina is filled chock full of bacteria okay um just like the rest of your body you have bacteria you are bacteria we you know are living organisms and we house other living organisms and so when we do things like use you know um washes and wipes and perfumes and all of these things what we're doing is we're killing the bacteria that is living harmoniously in our vagina on our vulvas right and when you do that it is much harder to replace the good bacteria so think about like the you know the warrior princesses of the vagina those are the lactobacilli the things that are kind of keeping everything in check If you are using these products, you're getting rid of those in addition to all of the quote unquote bad bacteria like the yeast and um, the things that cause like bacterial vaginosis. So yes, you're getting rid of the quote unquote bad bacteria, but you're also getting rid of the things that regulate your natural flora or microbiome. Um, So the best option is to just use water. As easy as that, just water. Just water, warm water, that's all you need. Wow. <laughs> Nobody ever thinks it's it's just like it's that easy. Like that's all we need to be using. Mm-hmm. We're always trying to fix something. And it's a quick it's fix broken. that we're always trying to <laughs> trying to do. The so, made you in the best way he knew how. Leave it alone. Leave it alone, ladies. Leave it alone. 
So when do we need to see a woman's health practitioner or gynecologist? Once a year is a good bet. Um, I like to encourage people to do it around their birthday, especially if you're coming to see me because it should be like a treat, you know, like I'm going to go to Discover Health and treat myself. Um, so once a year is a good idea to check in with someone. Awesome. And what are your last words? Um, my last words would just be that if you are here and you've listened to this, just know that you are perfectly designed. Um, and if you are having trouble, there's help out here for your most intimate concerns. And just thank you for listening. Yeah, this was honestly very helpful. And I mean, we can ramble all day about everything around our reproductive and sexual health. Cause I feel like when it comes to sexual health, that's also a separate part <laughs> that we need to tackle, but like, we appreciate all the gems that you shared today. So thank you so much for stopping by. Of course. Of course. Happy to be here. Yeah. And so this is one, one last, last, last question. We love to ask all our guests who come to the show and that is how do you flourish? Oh, how do I flourish? I flourish by, helping other women become their best selves really doing this work is how I thrive I love that and we need you so thank you thank you for being you <laughs> you thanks Jenna so we'll put all of Jenna's information in the show notes make sure you keep up with her on Instagram if you're in the DC metro area she has a practice here definitely check her out and her um, her website which has all the information and details there so thank you guys once again for listening. Don't you just love her? She is incredible. And if you are based in the D.C. area, again, please join us for a real talk on sexual health. It's in person. So I would love to see you there. Get all the details in the show notes and RSVP right away because we only have a few limited seats. So definitely go ahead and do that. If you enjoyed today's episode, please support and leave us a rating. I'll catch you in the next episode. We have exciting things to talk about for the upcoming months. Talk soon and until then, keep flourishing.